Hi, my name is Suze Morrison. I'm the MPP for Toronto Centre. Welcome to my podcast, Stories for Change. Hello, welcome. Uh, my name is Suze Morrison. I'm the member of Provincial Parliament for Toronto Centre, and I am joined today by Terry Lynn, who's a constituent uh, here in Toronto, uh, as well as MPP Joel Hardin, uh, fellow New Democrat and uh, official opposition critic uh, for disability issues and accessibility. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit today about uh, the effects of the pandemic on uh, the lives of people with disabilities in our community. Um, so Terry Lynn, we'll go to you to start. Um, and I, I think just overall, what has been your experience during the pandemic as someone living uh, in our community with a disability? Um, I think right off the bat, there was um, community-wide, there was trouble accessing PPE. So that was um, very important in terms of um, folks that rely on any sort of um, additional care or attendance or nurturing assistance, um, because um, access to PPE did not flow down to our communities um, for basic things like showering, like going to the bathroom, that kind of stuff. Um, and so it, it left the community vulnerable and feeling like they weren't going to be protected during the pandemic. Um, there have also been additional access concerns and needs um, for folks living with uh, mental health issues. There hasn't been um, enough support um, for mental health issues um, in any way, shape or form. Um, and also um, in terms of additional access needs, there's also been uh, like, things like if you have a grocery service delivery if they're not coming to your door anymore that's going to be like an extra expense that you have or um, you might have to go to a medical clinic at an off-site because there's been an out an outbreak where whereas previously that wasn't a concern and like how are you going to fund that kind of thing um there was also um, a lack of attention although some attention has been paid to this recently around um, access to vaccines particularly like accommodations to go and get your vaccine and the costs around that. Um, and also the prioritization of um, individuals with disabilities was quite late. Um, and the community has sadly seen as well um, the implementation of um, a bill that would not um, prioritize us for care should we need access to a ventilator, which was devastating for the community. Yeah, I think that piece was particularly um upsetting um you know as as folks with disability were told you know um you know you may not be as likely to get a ventilator in a hospital if we have to make these decisions mm -hmm. um and i remember standing in the legislature um when we were first starting to hear from doctors a, a few weeks back about um that they were getting to the point of having to make triaging decisions about ventilators mm -hmm. and the bill that we were debating in the house that day was increasing donation limits for political parties mm -hmm. um you know that's where the priority of this government seems to be yeah. not addressing the crisis before us mm -hmm. um but you know making sure that they can get reelected and um you know build their political war chests and it was just i think one of the most um stark contrast days I, I've ever seen in the legislature mm. um, and just entirely leaving the disability community behind uh, in the process. Uh, Joel, I wanna pop over to you for a second. Um, as our critic uh, for accessibility issues, um, what, what are you hearing from the community and from stakeholders in terms of uh, the impact uh, on the disability community from, from COVID-19 and um, you know, what sort of policy pieces were missing? Well, everything Terry Lynn said, 
basically, we, we've seen in this pandemic, Ontario make the choice to be at the back of the line with respect to access and supports for people with disabilities, whether it was our seniors who died in long-term care homes, absolutely under neglect from this government, absolutely considered last, or whether, as Terry Lynn, it, it's talking about people living in poverty, having their costs of living go up, and seeing a temporary ODSP pandemic benefit extended for a few months if you could actually manage to contact your ODSP worker in time. And we know that most ODSP workers in Ontario have hundreds of clients. The average in Ottawa is more than 400 uh, folks any given ODSP worker was. So I mean, we put people in a shameful situation where their costs of living were massively going up. They were being told, people with disabilities were being told to stay home and stay safe, but there's an increased cost to doing that, as Terry Lynn said, and the government didn't see fit to do anything about it. We know they've been transferred billions of dollars from the federal government. Uh, I have my criticisms of the federal government, but at least there was a $600 one-time payment across the uh, disability caseload nationwide. I can't say much for the for the provincial government. They, they made people chase after already beleaguered ODSP worker sues. And the, the other story is, and I want to emphasize this, other provinces didn't make this decision. The province of British Columbia has is still providing a $300 a month pandemic levy increase for everybody on disability payments in the province. And for the small amount of people on disability uh, payments in the province of British Columbia who qualify for the Canada, uh, for the CERB, the Canada Employment Response Benefits, uh, you know, disability payments were not clawed back. They were stacked on top. So we didn't have to take the decision to discriminate against people with disabilities, but Ontario decided to do so. It's to their shame. Yeah, I think one of the most heartbreaking, um, you know, situations we saw with the clawback is, you know, I think one of the misconceptions that people have is that if you're on ODSP, you're on disability that that you don't work at all. And in fact, yeah. a lot of people on ODSP work. Uh, they, they maybe work, uh, you know, a small number of hours a week or as, you know, artists and independent contractors, um, you know, with the to to the extent of their ability um, and 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 lost that that income. Uh, and, and there was no recognition for that. And when, and when CERB came in, it was an all or nothing situation, um, right. So you could take all of CERB, um, which was, you know, intended to be a replacement for full-time employment, but not for folks that were maybe working 10, 15 hours a week. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, and then saw their disability getting clawed back. But when you lose your disability, um, you know, you also put at risk, um, you know, access to, to your benefits, That's right. your drug benefits, right? And, um, you know, if you have a, a condition like MS, for example, you, your drugs may be hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Folks can't afford uh, to, to, to live without their life-saving medication. Um, and, and so there was just no nuance to the program that was ever going to meet the needs of people with disability and, and um, you know, addressed, uh, you know, this, the, maybe stigma is not the right word, but, you know, the, the, the stereotypes and assumptions of, of, of people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Terry Lynn, uh, one thing I did want to talk about with you is, is housing, uh, which we know is a big issue here in Toronto Centre. And I know uh, Joel from Ottawa Centre, uh, we talk a lot about housing and how unaffordable it's become. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think when we look at that within the context of COVID-19, it's, it's also, um, I think, made folks' lives really difficult. You know, mm-hmm. we're, in a, we're in a housing crisis um, here in Toronto Centre. Uh, you know, when we look at the ODSP rates, for example, uh, the housing allowance portion is laughable in a Toronto Centre context. You, oh. couldn't rent, you couldn't rent a room in a rooming house 
uh, mm -hmm. for what the ODSP housing allowance is, mm -hmm. uh, let alone, you know, a one or a two bedroom apartment um, if you've got a family. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, your experiences trying to, um, in the community, um, you know, access and keep affordable housing? Yeah, I can speak to, um, it, it took me nine years to get into a subsidized, um, like, place. Um, so that was um, significant for us, but nine years is way too long to wait for, um, for housing. Um, and also, I think there are um, a lot of um, very legitimate, um, like, backlogs and, and, and stuff like that in terms of, like, yes, housing, but also, like, the paperwork aspect of it. Um, and one thing that I find um, interesting, one thing that I'm working on currently, is that um, in some cases, our GI units are not subject to the provincial rent freeze. Um, and I find that um, uh, it's an oversight. It's definitely an oversight that applies far more often to the disability community and for folks that don't have access to a lot of money. Um, and um, and it's not okay if the rent freeze applies to everyone else in Ontario, but not if you're on RGI. That's a that's um, a significant inequality there. Yeah, no, the, I mean, the, I could talk at length yeah. about all of the failings of the rent freeze. Yeah. Um, that was not really a rent freeze. I mean, we also know that um, above guideline rent increases are still allowed as well. Yeah. Um, and we have a lot of um, large corporate landlords that are continuing to abuse those. Um, and then there's the folks that don't even know. Uh, that we have a rent freeze this year uh, and landlords are still trying to give their tenants rent increases and tenants often if they're in you know a precarious or vulnerable situation are too afraid to push back against their landlord when they do illegal things like illegally raise the rent mm -hmm. um, you know and in, for example if you're a person with a disability trying to find an accessible apartment period yeah. mm -hmm. is like a holy grail you know yeah. I've been there my mom's been in a wheelchair since I was 16 Mm -hmm. and trying to find a wheelchair accessible unit or, you know, accessible in whatever way um, you need um, on a budget mm -hmm. in Toronto. Good yeah. luck is all I'm going to say. Um, you know, and so when you, when you finally find a place that meets your, your needs um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, you may, maybe you've been there five or 10 years um, and you've watched the market rents um, explode around you. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's a fear that, oh my God, if I lose this apartment, like where am I going to go? I can't afford anything that's out there. I'll never get anything that's accessible. Right. Um, and so people tolerate quite a lot from their landlords because there is an unfair power dynamic there. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, there's just, there's not the enforcement to back up, um, you know, even these, these little crumbs that we're getting um, yeah. for tenants. Um, Joel, I want to talk to you a little bit about what's going on in the province right now in terms of changes to ODSP. Um, so in the last few months, we've heard uh, that the Ford government is planning um, to download uh, responsibility for ODSP uh, down to our municipalities. Um, and I know we don't have a ton of information about this just yet, um, but I'm wondering if you can walk us through a little bit of maybe what you've heard and, and maybe some of the concerns that you might have uh, with where that's going, appreciating we still don't have a ton of details on it yet. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, our colleague, Lisa Gretzky, who's the MPP uh, for Windsor West and is our, our colleague with Critic Responsibility for Social Assistance. Both of us have been engaged in this, SUS. And what I can tell you is uh, there's there's a signal in legislation before the House, Bill 176, a schedule of bill basically saying the government wants to have the ability to do this. 
So we know with Ontario Works, this is already the case that the service provision was downloaded to municipalities, still provincial public sector workers that are doing the work, but uh, they decided, you know, years ago, governments decided to download this responsibility to the municipalities and there's discussion of doing it provincially. And what I fear, rather like we were just talking about, you know, the clawback of the CERB, this is a way the provincial government is trying to save money. I mean, and to think that you're trying to save money with some of the most hard done by folks in our province who are living in legislated poverty, which is what ODSP is, like the benefits are set by the provincial government below what anybody would understand as a livable wage. And yet in this moment of the pandemic, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, which is still not a fantastic wage, is dramatically better. You know, the maximum benefit you can qualify for under the Ontario Disability Support Program, and most people don't, is $11.69 a month. Uh, and 2000 a month was deemed the floor for 9 million Canadians. So, uh, you know, I fear the worst with this particular, with this particular move, move Suze. But I have to say something else, if you don't mind, because I'm always trying to figure out a way to provide some context to the conversation here. What the people of Ontario need to know is that we spend a lot of money subsidizing rich people every single year. So if you look at tax expenditures for stock option deductions, capital gains, uh, tax write-offs, the province of Ontario, according to the financial accountability officer, offers $44 billion in tax expenditure subsidies. The vast majority of those go to very, very affluent people who don't make their money from what you and I would, like working for a wage or receiving income security supplements. They make their money off of having wealth off of having property. And every year our province subsidizes those people. And where does that money go? It just goes directly into already rich people's bank accounts. And I like to contrast that to what ODSP recipients do across the province and Ontario Works recipients. There isn't a festival organizer in our city. I know it's hard to think about festivals in a pandemic, but we used to have them and they're amazing. And none of them in our city, I can tell you from festival organizers we spoke to, happen without OW and Ontario and ODSP recipients playing a key role, critical role in coordinating all of the aspects of how those things work on the ground, whether it's cleaning the facilities, helping to set up and set down, welcome uh, participants to like the, the, Nonprofit sector in our city absolutely relies upon the volunteer labor of Ontario Works and ODSP uh, folks playing a critical part in it. And I think of that as an investment in our social solidarity, you know, because the employment relationship, the only way you get to qualify, as Terry Lynn knows better than me, the only way you get to qualify for ODSP is if you are actually physically incapable of maintaining what most people would think about a, a full-time employment uh, situation. So we as a province realize that equity means we meet people where they're at and we try to help them live meaningful and fulfilling lives. So ODSP recipients actually give a hell of a lot back to Ontario, uh, as does folks on Ontario Works every single day. Think about, because there's just not enough personal support workers and care attendants in this province. Who do we think has been looking in on vulnerable uh, folks in the middle of this pandemic. Sure as hell hasn't been the provincial government. Sure, hell, sure as hell hasn't been stressed out PSWs. It's been ODSP recipients looking in on ODSP recipients. It's been OW recipients looking in on OW recipients. That's actually this community solidarity we have that is unpaid in mm -hmm. Ontario. And I like to contrast that to the billions we shovel at the Galen Westons of the world or the Thompson family. So the super affluent people who just because they're rich 
just because they're rich and they have fancy lawyers and fancy accountants, we shovel billions at these people and no one in the legislature sadly bats an eyelash soon. So that's, this is work we have to do in our caucus. Like we have to talk about how Ontario has to stop shoveling money at super rich people and, and start, you know, giving people with disabilities the respect they deserve for everything that happens on a daily basis in this community, continuing to this very day, and, and how we actually have to, like, you and I want to be part of a government, Suze, that actually pays people with disabilities the kinds of income securities they deserve. I mean, Raise the rates, man. Raise the rates, brother. <laughs> we, we ran on a campaign in 2018, and I know it's with, at the minimal we're going to do in 2022 to raise ODSP by 15% and to raise Ontario Works by 22.5%. I can't wait to do that again. In fact, I want to do better than that. But, but that, that's what we put out there. And folks who are watching this who are on OW or ODSP, you need to know that if you want that, no one's going to give it to you. We actually have to organize. We have to get out there, pick yeah. up the phone, uh, tell your neighbors that there is an option beyond a party that will subsidize the rich and ask so many people to live in poverty. You can, you can fight for better. Thank you so much, Joel. Honestly, that's amazing and so inspiring. Um, and, you know, I, I think the political context that we miss here when we talk about raising the rates is like people forget that under Mike Harris, Mike Harris came in in the 90s and slashed social assistance in half overnight, in half overnight. So people on ODSP and OW are, are getting less than they were in the mid 90s. And, yeah. and think about what you could rent an apartment for in downtown Toronto in say 1991, 1992, yeah. 1993, mm -hmm. versus what you're gonna pay to rent a one bedroom apartment in our riding in Toronto Centre now. Well, the average rents for one bedroom apartment are about mm, $2,200, $2,100. It's come down a smidge uh, in the pandemic um, as all the Airbnbs have come back online. Uh, shocker. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, when you've got, when, when you said earlier, the, the maximum ODSP allowance is $1,169. And the average rent for one bedroom apartment in downtown Toronto is about double that. How? How? Is anyone supposed to live? How? It's, it's, it's literally not possible. Uh, and, and the blame for that falls squarely on the feet of Mike Harris. Mike Harris. Um, and the conservative and liberal governments that came after him that did nothing about it. But um, anyway, to wrap us up before I go off on a, on a bigger rage fest about my favorite person, Mike Harris. Um, uh, Terry Lynn, I want to go back to you to round us out a little bit. And I know you have to go in a couple minutes. Um, so I think we're kind of right on time. But um, just to, to close this out, what are the changes you need to see in the ODSP program? Um, and what other supports uh, do people with disabilities uh, need to get through this pandemic? Um, there's two policies that I would like to highlight um, that have come my way recently, um, and that is um, ODSP still has a policy that if you have um, a new pregnancy, you can only get the benefits once the pregnancy is declared. Um, that um, policy is absolutely gender discriminatory, and it's a woman's right to declare when they have when they're going to um, disclose a pregnancy. Um, so that's one thing that I want to highlight that hasn't changed, or at least I haven't seen the policy change on it that I've requested. Um, the other thing is that the ongoing policy, of course, is that if you qualify for EI, um, but you're also an ODSP recipient, EI gets deducted straight away. Um, so it's a very similar line of thinking to like 
um, saying to ODSP recipients, okay, if you work part-time and you got the CERB, the CERB gets deducted like the, the, the entire thing. So we do need to, I love the um, theme. I feel like the theme that's emerged is like um, talking about and thinking through the work of uh, the disability community, um, the activists that are in the community and um, recognizing that work and um, that labor, whether or not it's paid or paid or volunteer. Um, and to get through the pandemic, we need to be, uh, we need recognition. We need to be um, recognized as a priority group. Uh, we need to be recognized as people whose lives are valuable. <laughs> and until that happens, we're gonna see policies that look like this. <laughs> Thank you so much, Terry Lynn. Um, yeah. It's emotional and it's hard, right? Like people don't realize how crushing it can be mm -hmm. to live in such an oppressive system that doesn't meet your needs. Yeah. And it's exhausting 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. And you're doing it all being a new mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I thank you so much, Taylin, for sharing your experiences. Um, I, I, it's been a fantastic conversation. Uh, and Joel, brother, uh, it's always a pleasure <laughs> to have you visiting from, uh, from your home in Ottawa Centre. Um, it's a pleasure to work with you every day uh, in the legislature. Uh, and, and for folks that are watching this uh, that don't know Joel, go check him out and follow his page. Um, he is one of the most uh, passionate uh, and impassioned uh, speakers you will ever see in Ontario's legislature. It is always a joy to watch you rise and speak in the house. Um, so thank you for your advocacy and your solidarity, my friend. Um, and again, thank you, Terry Lynn, for joining us. This has been fantastic. It's a Thanks pleasure so to see both of you. Terry Lynn, keep causing trouble, okay? We're okay. with you. Susan and I are with you. <laughs> okay, take care. Bye now. All right, bye everyone. Bye. You can sign up for my community newsletter at suzemorrison.ca.